seeing, so I'm expecting robust amens. Um, turn your Bible. <laughs> Thank you, Rusty. <laughs> turn your Bible to First uh, Kings 21. Let's hope that's not the only amen. First uh, Kings 21, page 304 in your pew Bibles. Um, if you haven't been with us, we've been walking through the book of First Kings, and now we are nearing the end, and we're still in Ahab's reign. Uh, and two weeks ago, Rusty preached on uh, Ahab's evil securing of Naboth's vineyard. If you remember, Ahab had everything. And then he looked outside his palace window and saw this guy, Naboth, with uh, just a small vineyard. And, and he approached him and said, hey, I'd like to uh, have your vineyard. I'll pay you a good price. Naboth says, nope, can't do it. He goes home. Ahab does. He's sullen. This is the first part of chapter 21. And there goes my mic. He's sullen, and his wife, Jezebel, says, tell you what, I've got a plan. I'm going to help you out. I'm going to get that for you. And concocts the evil scheme to have Naboth killed. If you haven't read that, it's, um, you can read about it on your own later this afternoon. So, so here's Ahab. He's going to take possession of the vineyard, and we pick up in our reading. We're going to start in verse uh, 16 of chapter 21. Uh, a couple of questions I want to ask before we read. What is your view of God, and how does your life correspond to that view? How do you view God, and how is your life corresponding to that view? It's an important question we all need to entertain. Let's start at verse 16. And as soon as Ahab heard that Naboth was dead, Ahab arose to go down to the vineyard of Naboth, the Jezreelite, to take possession of it. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite, saying, Arise, go down to meet Ahab, the king of Israel, who's in Samaria. Behold, he is in the vineyard of Naboth, where he has gone to take possession. And you shall say to him, Thus saith the Lord, Have you killed and also taken possession? And you shall say to him, Thus saith the Lord, In the place where dogs licked up the blood of Naboth, shall dogs lick up your own blood. Ahab said to Elijah, Have you found me, O my enemy? He answered, I have found you, because you have sold yourself to do what is evil in the sight of the Lord. Behold, I will bring disaster upon you. I will utterly burn you up and cut you off from Ahab, every male bond of free in Israel. And I will make your house like the house of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, and like the house of Basha, the son of Ahijah. For the anger to which you have provoked me, and because you have made Israel to sin. And of Jezebel, the Lord also said, The dog shall eat Jezebel within the walls of Jezreel. Anyone belonging to Ahab who dies in the city, the dog shall eat. And anyone of his who dies in the open country, the birds of the heaven shall eat. There was none who sold himself to do what is evil in the sight of the Lord like Ahab, whom Jezebel, his wife, incited. He acted very abominably in going after idols, as the Amorites had done, whom the Lord had cast out before the people of Israel. And when Ahab heard those words, he tore his clothes and put sackcloth on his flesh and fasted and lay in sackcloth and went about dejectedly. And the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite, saying, have you seen how Ahab has humbled himself before me? Because he has humbled himself before me, I will not bring the disaster in his days, 
but in his son's days, I will bring disaster upon his house. This is God's word. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord will stand forever. Let's pray together. Oh, great God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, thank you that you are deeply involved in all of time, space, and history, and in our salvation. We ask, oh Lord, that you would superintend these moments. That, Father, you would be revealed, namely through the Son and through the illumination of the Spirit. Give us light and give us heat that we may see and that we may be warmed to your glory, to your beauty, and your truth. And, Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O God, my rock and my redeemer. We pray this all in the strong name of Jesus and all God's people say, Amen. Good amen. Good job. As a boy, uh, a young boy, my family visited the Florida Caverns in Mariana. I don't know if you've ever been there, but uh, I'll never, it was an unforgettable experience. Uh, so you go in and you, and you go in these deep caverns and caves within the earth, and it's just amazing uh, stalactites and all those ites that are in the caves. Uh, they tell you all about it. It's, it's just amazing, especially for a young boy. And I really delighted in it until. They cut the lights out totally. I'll never forget when the lights went out, I could not even see my hand in front of my face. I just kept going like this, and there was nothing. You couldn't see anything. There was no light whatsoever. It was dark. So not only could I not see my hand, I couldn't see how to get out of there because I wanted to get out. I yearned for the light. I yearned to know what's going on around me. Without God revealing himself to humanity, we're all in the dark with no hope. We don't know who God is. We don't know what he expects. We don't know how to move. We can't see. The beauty of God's revelation is that he has made himself known. His character. This is the scriptures. He's made himself known for who he is. Without God revealed in the scriptures, we grope around in the dark only guessing about who he is, only guessing about what he expects and how to live. And we stumble around, and it's a scary place with no hope. But, but, here's our main idea. God has revealed his character to us clearly throughout the Bible, and in this passage particularly. What has he revealed? He is a God of perfect justice and unfailing mercy. Perfect justice, unfailing mercy. You'll see that here. That's our two points. He's a God of trenchant justice, and he's a God of tender mercy. Got that alliteration from Dale Ralph Davis's excellent commentary of 1 Kings. Trenchant justice, tender mercy. Let's start with trenchant justice. This is who he is. The highlight of this passage is that the God of the Bible acts as judge against the egregious injustice of Ahab and Jezebel. God did not cast a blind eye. He didn't overlook Ahab's sin. He visited Ahab and said, this is what you have done. I have seen it. He calls Elijah to confront Ahab. Let's read 18 and 19 once again. Arise and go down to meet Ahab, king of Israel, who is in Samaria. Behold, he's in the vineyard of Naboth, where he has gone to take possession. You shall say to him, Thus said the Lord, Have you killed and also taken possession? And you shall say to him, Thus said the Lord, The place where the dogs licked up the blood of Naboth, the dogs shall lick up your own 
blood. God asked a rhetorical question. He knew what Ahab had done, just like this question in the Garden of Eden. When Adam sinned, when Adam knew sin, he called out, where are you? God knew where Adam was. It was more of a question for Adam. Where are you in disposition to me? And he's saying to Ahab, Ahab, where are you? Have you done this? Make an account for yourself. Speak it out loud. Don't try to hide. God knows all things. He knew what Ahab had done. Ahab nor Jezebel had snowed under God. They hadn't been hoodwinking. They did what they did in open view, and God sees everything, and he takes account of all of our lives. And here we see that God administers justice in five ways. First, pronouncement of Ahab's death, even dishonor. He talks about the dogs licking the blood. Uh, in, in the ancient Near East, in the Hebrew mind, to honor someone is to give them a proper burial so their body is protected and whole. And here we see dishonor. Secondly, God says, I will cut off from you, Ahab, the rest of Israel. In other words, you're not going to be king anymore. That's verse 21. Thirdly, God will eliminate Israel, or Ahab's children from the line of the throne. Verse 23, sorry, 22. Fourthly, God will bring death and dishonor to Jezebel. Verse 23, again, uh, the dogs will lick the blood. Now, I know this is gory. And, and, and the fifth one is, God will bring death to anyone who belongs to Ahab. Verse 24. And you may be thinking, well, that's pretty harsh of God. Actually, it's uh, retributive justice. If you've been the recipient of gross injustice in this life, you see this as a beautiful dimension of God's character. And it's a reason to have hope. Let me explain. Old Testament theologian Chris Wright, was, he was speaking years ago, it was decades ago, at a conference, and he was preaching on the Old Testament. Uh, he is a wonderful professor of Old Testament, he's written a lot of good books on the Old Testament, even seeing Jesus in the Old Testament. After preaching this particular time, a man came up to him and began to speak to him. This man grew up in India. He grew up actually in the caste system, was part of the lower caste. He'd experienced terrible injustice, contempt, even persecution for who he was, just for growing up in the lower side of the system. They were treated with contempt, injustice, and violence. The effect on this man was that he went to college and he threw himself into studying uh, Marxism and he was going to rise up and turn the tables on these people in his, in his country and bring about vengeance and justice on his own until he came into contact with some college students who were Christians and they handed him a Bible. And it just so happened that he decided to read that Bible, and this is the passage that he opened up to, 1 Kings 21. He was astonished to find that it was all about greed for land, abuse of power, corruption of the courts, and violence against the poor. All things he was very familiar with and had received in life and had an angst of, when will there ever be justice? What was more amazing to this man was that God took the side of Naboth. And he accused Ahab and Jezebel of their wrongdoing and pronounced a sentence for their evil. 
here was a real God of real justice. A God who identified with these victims and took real action against them. And here's what he said. He exclaimed, we read this, he said, I never knew such a God existed. You mean there's really going to be justice in this world? This is a God that enacts justice. It was astonishing to him. And discovered as he continued to read the Bible that over and over again he saw God who was for the poor, the oppressed, and who would bring about justice in this world once and for all. In fact, this man eventually became a Christian because he was moved to see this type of God. I never knew such a God existed. Yes, our God, Yahweh, the God of Israel, the God of the church, the Bible, is a God of perfect justice and does exist. We may grapple over the delay of his justice and why God allows evil to prevail in many places of the world and even in our lives, but this thing we know, he will bring uh, equal scales and balances in the end. He will right all wrongs that have ever been done in the history of the world. Psalm 9.9 says this, The Lord is a stronghold for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. Psalm 10, 17 and 18, O Lord, you hear the desire of the afflicted. You will strengthen their heart. You will incline your ear to do justice to the fatherless and to the oppressed, so that man who is of the earth may strike terror no more. Psalm 103, 6, The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. And here's the truth. We don't need any kind of worldly ideology to follow. We have, we have the scriptures. We have the God of the Bible who's a God of justice. We look to him and his character and how he rolls it out and we walk in that. Our need is to turn to the scriptures to know the God of justice and for instruction on how to live a life filled with pure justice. After all, God is a God of perfect, trenchant justice who on the day of judgment will exact punishment on all evil. Revelation 20, verse 12 says this, And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and the books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. Listen. If you think that you've hidden your sin from God, that you have them snowed under, that you can continue over and over again to give yourself to, as Ahab done, sell yourself out to sin, you're mistaken. Whatever you're hiding, God says, where are you? Come to me. Don't hide. Come to me. The God who knows all and sees all has taken account of your continual actions, your rebellion against him. But not only is a God a God of trenchant and perfect justice, he's also a God of tender mercies. This is the beauty of this passage. It's our second point. God is a God of tender mercies. Notice in verse 27 how Ahab reacts. He tore his clothes. He put on sackcloth and ashes. He fasted and walked around dejectedly. And the writer here paints this as a true repentance. This is a stark difference in the action of Ahab's life and the trajectory, so stark that God took notice. Look at verses 28 and 29. 
And the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite, saying, Have you seen how Ahab has humbled himself before me? It's almost as if God says, Hey, Elijah, did you see that? Did you see what happened? Did you actually see that Ahab, he had sackcloth and ashes? God is thrilled to see Ahab repenting with a whole heart, at least at this point in his life. Sadly, it, it wasn't the whole trajectory. But at this point, God saw this repentance and, and he got him, whoa, okay. What did God do? Look at the rest of verse 29. Because he has humbled himself before me, I will not bring the disaster in his days, but in his son's days I'll bring the disaster upon his house. God is thrilled to see Ahab repenting. What did God do? He relented of his justice. Now, the justice still arrived, but it was delayed because of what? Because of Ahab's disposition of humility at the word of God. When God's word came, at least at this point, Ahab changed. He responded to God's word finally. God was deeply moved toward mercy. What moved God in this direction? Well, one word, repentance. Repentance. While in high school and college, I worked for Charles Turner, a uh, farmer between my hometown of Black and Geneva. And each fall, we would uh, pick peanuts. I wouldn't pick them. I'd level the trailers and pull them. But uh, the older guys would pick the peanuts, and those big pickers, and they'd dump it in the trailers. We'd level them. Uh, and you hook them up to the truck um, with one little thing. It's, it's called a pull pin or a linch pin. A lot, of, a lot of you have these for the ball of your truck. When you, when you put that hitch in, you have this here. And, and Charles would commonly say, son, if you don't have a pull pin, you have nothing. That trailer ain't going nowhere without a pull pin. It just sits right in there. There's a fork in the trailer. It sits on the tongue of the truck or on the, the hitch, and you stick the pin in, and that's how you pull thousands of pounds in these big trailers. You've probably seen them all around in the peanut plant. What is the linchpin of Christianity? What is the linchpin of your faith? It is repentance. Repentance. It is a gift. God offers it. And he says, look, you're going nowhere without repentance. You're like a trailer just sitting there aimlessly. God, through his word, says, this is who I am. Yeah, I'm going to exact justice, but I'm a God of mercy. How do you pivot between his justice and mercy? How do you move from under Adam to under Christ? It is repentance. Without the linchpin, you have nothing. How do we walk this out? How do we think and live it, as, as Rusty says? Just two things. First, repentance is the pivot point between God's justice and mercy. The definition of repentance is turning a 180. It's actually turning around toward God and away from sin. And this is what God was so delighted in with Ahab for the moment. Repentance opens us up to the mercy of God in the gospel. We see God's law. We realize that we fall short. We're in danger of this judgment ahead. And we say, Lord, have mercy on me. We've sung it three times this morning. Turning to God, hoping on his mercy. When Peter and the apostles were preaching at Pentecost, in Acts chapter 2, it states, Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart 
And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Repent. What do we do? We repent. So I urge you this morning, if you don't know Jesus Christ, if you're hiding from God, if you're giving your life to sin continually, repent and be saved. Be saved from judgment and justice because it will come. This is the good news of the gospel that he has provided a way out through Christ. Second point. Repentance is not just one point in your life. It's a way of life. Repentance is a way of life. Martin Luther, who opened the Reformation by nailing the 95 Theses to the door of the Wittenberg Chapel, his very first point was this. Our Lord and Master Jesus Christ willed the entire life of believers to be one of repentance. The entire life. And this is why commonly in our service we, we confess our sin and hear absolution. It's because we want that habit in our lives that we are, we know that God is, He sees everything. He is a yes, God of justice that leads us to His mercy. And He says, Come to me. I've got bountiful grace to give you. Over and over again. And there's freedom in repentance, a life of repentance. This is not just a religious rite. This is not just some doorway you walk through when you're 12 years old and when you're done, you live like you want to live. No, it's turning from your sin continually toward God, toward God, toward God. Repentance is our chance to remember and remind ourselves of the beautiful gospel. That though there was a long line of wicked kings, there came a king who actually took evil on himself. He took all the injustices of this life on himself. He took your sin on himself. And he brought about the righteousness of God on you. This is why Paul says in Romans 3, he is both just and the justifier of those who believe in him. Because God is righteous in that his just and mercy is full and free and beautiful. Sadly, the trajectory of Ahab's life was not one of repentance. This is highlighted in the comment in verses 25 and 26 as the editorial comment. There was none who sold himself to do what is evil in the sight of the Lord like Ahab. I want to ask you again, what is the trajectory of your life? What is your view of God? And how is that impacting how you gospel of Jesus Christ brings home God's perfect justice and mercy. Listen, God, God is offering, he's offering you light in the darkness. And he's saying, this is the way, walk in it. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we need more of you. We need your light and we need your heat. Holy Spirit, do that. Even as we hear your word, may it move us to greater heights of knowing you, of being found in you, of glorying in you, of delighting in you. Stir us up, we pray. In Jesus' name.
Let's stand together one more time. We're going to close by responding and sing the doxology.